Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. All right, let's go to Luke. In our entrusted series today, I want us to look at the source of generosity the source of generosity. How would you answer this question if I were to ask you, what makes a person generous? What makes a person generous? You know, we measure generosity in a number of different ways, but most often we measure generosity typically in the amount given. So the greater the amount, the more we're likely to say, wow, that's really generous, right? That seems seems right. But what if I told you that God doesn't measure generosity as much as he weighs it. What if I told you he, he doesn't measure it as much as he weighs it? Here's what I mean. We typically think of generosity in terms of measuring amounts given. But today's passage is going to show you a very different perspective about this. Today, we're going to learn that God weighs generosity not by the size of the gift, but by the gift's impact upon the giver. Let's go to the text, Luke chapter 21. I'm going to read the first four verses and then we'll continue with the message. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Luke recounts a story in his gospel of Jesus observing people giving in the synagogue. No pressure there, right? Who's that over there watching us? Oh, that's Jesus. He's God. You know, okay, all right. Uh, I better get a little more out. You know, I mean, there's some pressure here at the beginning of this story. But you kind of have to understand how the synagogue is laid out and what would have been going on at this time. So the synagogue was um, a rectangular shape, maybe uh, a third to a fourth uh, as wide as it was long. So you're looking at a, a narrow, long, more of a corridor building space. And in the corner at the front, there would have been pillars. And on one side, there would have been a seat where uh, whoever was teaching for that day would be seated for teaching, there would be a big platform about this high in the middle where the scrolls would be. So they would come to the middle, roll the scrolls out, the scrolls would be read and then rolled back up and the teacher would go sit down and teaching was always done from a seated posture. On the other side, directly opposite of the, the, the teaching Uh, podium was uh, the offering box. So it was by the other side. So everyone would sit along the walls. There would be two or three steps up and you were seated on those steps. And then people were flowing up during the service to make their offerings and that kind of thing. Well, Jesus is telling us was seated. He had been teaching in the synagogue and his disciples were seated around him. And so he says to them in a way so that Luke tells us just prior to this, so that others can hear him. He's not trying to whisper or hide what he is saying. He says, if you'll look at that widow woman, 
She's given more than all the others. And the disciples are like, all right, we missed that. Obviously, we're sure everyone else did as well. They typically did miss it before Jesus taught it. But there's a number of reasons that Luke includes this in his story when he puts it in the gospel. He's contrasting the poor widow not against everyone else in the room as much as he's contrasting her against the religious leaders in chapter 20, verse 47, that we'll look at in just a moment. But what he's trying to do is highlight the true source of generosity in the face of false generosity. Jesus was seated with his disciples People brought their offering and he noticed in the line as she moved up to the offering box, a poor widow who caught his attention. And with all the other people putting their gifts into the offering box, this lady put in two coins. Now, before you think coins in our thinking, understand that it says they were two lepta. Roughly the value of those coins was equal to about one sixty-fourth of a day's wage. So if you do the math on that, and trust me, this is easy math or I wouldn't be doing it. That means it takes 64 days of working of an average laborer's wage to pay your bills for one day. That's a bad economy, friends. You know, I mean, that's a bad, I know we think groceries are expensive right now, but I'm telling you, that's a really bad economy. As a matter of fact, that's not a workable solution. And so when you think about what she actually put in the offering box, you think, that doesn't sound like much. And you see, while we do not know the amount of all the other people's offerings, we are given the amount of her offering, which was literally next to nothing. Next to nothing. Upon seeing this, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said this to them, that she put in more than all the others. Now, that didn't just mean more than each of the others, but what Jesus was saying, she put in more than all the others combined, all of the others. And the reason why her inconsiderably small offering was more than all the others combined is this. This is what he explains in verse four. They all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. You see, Jesus looked at the source of each gift in order to determine its true value. Consider Jesus' lesson and how he draws this lesson to a head in, in making the point in verse 4. And, and, and we see that the critical understanding is really based in two words, out of. It says that all the others gave out of their abundance. So that was their source, was their abundance. It was a portion of all that they had. That's what they gave. And there was no doubt that many of those who gave out of their abundance uh, were giving the first portion of a faithful tithe, that the portion they were giving was a portion that Jesus would, had, had he calculated it, had we known exactly how much it was they gave and how much they made and all those kinds of things, it would have been a faithful tithe. It may have even been beyond a faithful tithe, but that's not the issue here. Jesus is not making an argument for a big offering here. He's identifying the source of generosity. And what he says in comparison is that they gave out of their abundance. But after they gave, an interesting thing transpired. They still had plenty left over to supply for their daily need. They made their offering. They went on their way. 
and they had plenty or at least enough to supply for their daily needs. You see, I want you to recognize this, friends, because when anytime you teach on a passage that has anything to do with money, uh, you'll hear us say this on occasion, people can get funny. Jesus is not making a value statement about all the other people's giving. That's not what he is saying here. He's not casting any shame or condemnation. He's not saying any uh, they were wrong in any way. he's He's just simply using them as a comparison for her. Because his lesson is not about all the others, but it's about the poor widow. Because he says of her, but she, out of her poverty... There's her source. What was her source? Her poverty. Put in all she had to live on. You feel the weight of that? Everybody else walked away talking about where they were going to eat lunch, talking about what they were going to do later in the day or that week and what was coming up. Not worried to any recognizable extent about where the resource was coming from. But Jesus said, when she walked away, those things weren't on her mind because they weren't even options. That's weighty, friends. And if we don't feel the weight of her, of her gift, we should understand this. Jesus felt it. Jesus felt it. Everyone else's offering likely made quite the racket when it hit the offering box due to the weight of the amount. Here's what we know from historical records and writings. Scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, they were notorious for making sure people were watching when they gave their offering and then dropping it from a little higher so the clank and the clang would be a little louder. We want people to see our righteousness. We're going to make sure that they know how much we've put in. They take their bills and they change them to coins. It's kind of like VBS when we have the challenge between the boys and the girls. And instead of bringing bills, they take it to the bank and get coins because the way we do it is we weigh one against the other and then they come away with 600 pounds of coins that have to be re-rolled and recounted. Stewardship team loves that, loves it. Not really, but... But what they're saying is that they wanted to be seen, the scribes and the Pharisees. They wanted to make an impact. And when they gave, the synagogue, the church itself felt the weight of their gifts. But Jesus says, the poor widow's offering, likely undetectable by the whole synagogue, probably didn't make enough noise even to echo off the marble that it sat on. But in heaven, it made quite the noise. Because when she walked away from giving her offering, God was all she had. That gets his attention, friends. Let me me read to you what one commentator describes in Jesus' lesson here. I just think it kind of helps to understand what he's saying. God does not see things as we do. He does not count he weighs. Jesus calls this widow's gift the greatest of those his disciples have been observing. What others give comes out of their excess, and they will hardly miss what they have uh, tossed in for the temple. But this woman gives out of her poverty. 
She gives what little she has, even though she needs it to live on. Jesus calls that real generosity. You see, friends, Jesus doesn't measure the widow's gift by its amount. He weighs the widow's gift by the faith that gave it. And while all the other offerings rattled the room, the widow's offering rattled heaven. That's beautiful, isn't it? That, that's beautiful in what Jesus is teaching us about how God sees and what his perspective is. She got Jesus' attention when nobody else knew what she was doing. Friends, here's what I want you to understand today. Generosity flows from a heart that weighs its giving by the promise of God's all-sufficient grace, even above one's personal need. Generosity flows from a heart that weighs its giving by the promise of God's all-sufficient grace, even above one's personal need. What is the promise of God's all-sufficient grace? Well, we find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 and 9, when it says this, and God is able, and people love those phrases in Scripture, and we ought to love those phrases, but let's keep them in the context of what he's talking about. He says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You see, that widow walked out of the synagogue that day convinced that she would be able to abound in every good work because God was going to be abounding in grace in her. And that's what moved Jesus. So how should we respond to Jesus' teaching today? I want to offer you four lessons that empower generosity from the heart by God's promise of grace. Four lessons that empower generosity that God recognizes. Lesson number one is this, that faithfulness and generosity in giving is always a sanctifying process because it causes one to ask many questions of ourselves and of God. That's always the case, friends, when you consider your giving. And if I, if I may, it is right for us to consider our giving from a perspective of faithful stewardship of what God has done for us. Two weeks ago, I preached on this and we talked about in determining what we should give, the Bible gives us clear direction and it's always that we look at what we have and where it is that it came from the one who gave it to us. But when we pause to consider Jesus's lesson, we have to think deeply about our life and our practices. And we ask, does the amount matter in giving to the Lord? Well, yes, the amount matters, but only in so much as it is in proportion to the supply. What God has done, according to, we said, you see, it doesn't mean that on that day, all the other gifts of the people coming, doesn't mean they were meaningless. Jesus doesn't make any comment about their value or their worth because he doesn't want us to focus on that or take anything away from that. But what Jesus does notice is what all the others failed to recognize, that a gift that was worth absolutely nothing to them, which held zero value of good, had no value of promise, had no value of provision or protection in the world, that gift was worth everything to Jesus. You want to know what Jesus was seeing when he was watching people give? He was seeing their heart, not their gift. 
because that's how God looks at us. Regarding giving, some think, well, when you have a, a campaign, that's when the rich people need to step up for the church. But friends, I would argue nothing could be further from the truth. We count the offerings here at the church. We don't throw the pennies out because of how little they represent or equal. Why? Because the heart that gave it may be the very heart of this widow. May be the very heart of generosity that God is growing among us. And in heaven, that heart would be considered the most generous person of all. And as a church, that's the kind of heart we want to cultivate among our people. You see, generosity is not first and foremost about how much one has, but how much Jesus has that person, their heart, their hope, and their whole being. Because if Jesus only occupies a small part of who you are, then you know you're supposed to give, but you don't want to want to give because everything else will persuade you you shouldn't or that you don't have to, it won't matter. What difference does it make? And if you put it off long enough, you'll just completely forget about it altogether. But friends, when Jesus is Lord, and when you ask him first and you make your decision as a faith response to his leading in your heart and life, it's always an act of faith. It's a heart of generosity. Faith is building the heart of the person being made more like Jesus by growing generosity with every offering. The second lesson is that Jesus calls some to give all their treasure so he can supply their need by those who do not give all in learning even greater generosity. I'm sorry, I should have warned you about this lesson before I just dropped it on you. Should have had you buckle your seatbelts and get ready for this one. But we don't talk about it and say it this way very often. There are times when Jesus calls some to give all their treasure. And you're like, whoa, hey, maybe I need to go get a little more coffee right now. I'll catch you on the third lesson. Listen to me. Jesus does not call and command all of his people to give all their money, to give all their treasure or all their possessions. There have been movements even in the last few decades of what I would call impoverishment gospel which is counter to prosperity gospel and is as equally perverted as if we can earn something from God because we display impoverishment in how we just give stuff away readily or money or whatever it is. And friends, we don't anymore earn God's favor in that way than we do any other. But Jesus does call some to give everything away. Who, who are those people? Well, maybe the most notable would be the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. When he came to Jesus, and, and Jesus told him to sell all of his possessions, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. Listen to this from Luke 18, verse 22 to 25. When Jesus heard this, what did Jesus heard from him? The rich young ruler came and said, Lord, what must I do to be saved? I've done this, 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 this. I've checked every box. There couldn't possibly be anything else more for what I need to do in order to inherit eternal life. But if there is one more thing, let me know what it is. And Jesus says, actually, there is one more. And he goes, well, I mean... If I've done all this other, I'm sure I'm going to be able to do this one. Everybody listen up. 
You're about to see something big here, really big. Listen up. Jesus, the Son of God, is about to tell me what one more thing needs to be done in order for me to inherit eternal life. Now, that's all Lane's free translation right there. That's not actually in the text. It's contextualizing, expanding on it. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. And then verse 23, it's heavy too. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Listen, friends. The rich ruler did not lack because he had great wealth. The rich ruler lacked Because his great wealth had him. The rich ruler lacked. Because everything he had done for God he had earned. And nobody earns their way to heaven. Just never works with God. In the scriptures. The people who have to give all. Are only those who are completely all consumed by it. And that's what the rich young ruler tells us because anything that occupies the heart's throne will have to be overthrown in order to come to God's saving grace. In most cases, what people give is not because of what Jesus demanded, but rather because of what he did in their heart. Let me tell you another story from the Bible about another man who came to Jesus. His name was Zacchaeus. What do you remember about Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man. Good grief of all the ways for a man to be remembered in his life. Oh, you're the wee little man. Can you imagine how many times people have already seen him in heaven? And he's had to experience, wee little man, how are you? I'm going to tell you, Zacchaeus didn't care. It was still an honor for him to be a wee little man who was with the Lord. And that's what we see. You see, when Jesus came, he stopped and he called Zacchaeus down. And he said, you're feeding me lunch today. I'll catch some of you in the community room after. And Zacchaeus, he was a dirty, filthy, rotten, he made IRS agents look honest. That's what he was, but a dishonest one. And he knew it. And that was the stain on his soul that he couldn't get rid of. But when he met Jesus, he met somebody that could cleanse that stain and would cleanse that stain. And so it tells us that he was so changed by Jesus in his heart that he gave four times what he had taken back to people. 
That wasn't because Jesus arm wrestled him and won. It wasn't because Jesus coerced him and said, you know who my dad is, right? No, it's because Jesus changed his heart. Jesus changed his heart. When someone gives their all, they entrust themselves to God for their every need. And God uses his people to supply for those needs. You see, that's one of the main reasons I believe Luke includes this story of Jesus' teaching where he does. Because if you look in verses 45 through 47 of the previous chapter, here's what you learn. That the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, were stained, perverted, very unrighteous people. And they were the model of righteousness. Because it tells us that he was teaching his disciples to beware of the scribes who only did their deeds of righteousness to be seen by other people. So they had already received their reward. But part of that was the way that they managed things was in the taking of the houses. They, he said, devoured widows' houses and for a pretense make their prayers long. Wow, that is a word of condemnation from God himself. And then immediately Jesus says, but the one whose house has been devoured by evil, she is the most generous and blessed of all. You see, the contrast Jesus makes here is showing us where real, true generosity is sourced from, the heart Life point, I, I would say to you, in our history, you have been a generous church. You have been moved by the Lord. Can I say that every penny that's given or every dollar that's been altered or offered has been given in such a way that, that is given out of the same widow's faith? No, because I don't see the hearts of people God does. But I can tell you this, he's used us in many ways to meet needs in people's lives. This would also account for those of us who have gone out from us and, and basically sold it all and moved to long, faraway places and, and given their lives to serving the Lord, to share the gospel and disciple other people and to make uh, disciples of other peoples, of their ethnos, other uh, people groups who live in foreign places far away from home and, and who give of themselves to see the gospel go. And they are able to go because your generosity sends them. That's what's going on with the widow here. That some God does call to give it all so that those who remain might be generous and learn generosity to send them. May our resounding prayer as a church be thank you, Jesus, for every opportunity to be generous because we know and trust that you're working to make us more like you. Lesson three is this, we must never forget that the most important quality of our giving is the posture of our heart toward God, one of full surrender to and dependence upon Jesus. You see, Jesus did not celebrate her gift and the fact that she would have nothing when she goes away. But some people think God's like that. If he can just squeeze it all out of our hands, he's gonna laugh when we have nothing. And, and how... How dark and broken is our thinking about God who is a good God, who is faithful in all things. 
But that's what Satan would want us to believe. Rather, Jesus as God, he felt the weight of her faith in giving her offering that though she had nothing, she gave it all. Trusting God for all of her provision. And and as soon as she gave it, the overwhelming love and joy of the Lord flowed out of her soul because God loves a cheerful giver and those whom he loves, he lavishes it upon them, the word says. There's no question about how she felt the moment those two almost silent coins hit the bottom. They were gone from her. But they were compounding in heaven's ledger in a way that would blow any of our minds. You see, I've had people say to me, if all Christians just tithed, the church wouldn't have to worry about money. And here's what I'll tell you. I'll say two things about this. Number one, that's likely true on the money count, but it would not solve the problem account. Why do I say that? Well, just because a person tithes doesn't mean they honor God with their giving. A tithe can be used as personal gain with God just as any other offering can. Two weeks ago, I preached on nine qualities of giving by grace. And I shared the benefit of the practice of tithing as a discipline that in the tithe, when you tithe, you mark your giving by seven of the nine qualities of grace giving that the scriptures teach us. Seven of nine. But there are two that tithe can never and will never never satisfy, that are directly related to the posture of one's heart. And they are this, cheerfulness and trust in God's promise. Friends, you can tithe your whole life. And every time you do, if you don't do it out of a heart posture of faith for God, you're just going to get madder and madder at him every time you give it. You're gonna, it's going to be like driving a, a, a crowbar under God so that you can call it in one day and try to leverage it against him. Do you know how much I've given? That's what you'll do. And and if you don't give with a heart of trust, you'll try to use your faithfulness in giving or regularness in giving rather to get something from God that's bigger than anything you've given. You see, these are important for us as we weigh our own heart in giving the gift. When we decide in our heart what we will give, that's where the Lord works in us according to our faith that produced the gift or the decision itself. And friends, it is giving that's from a heart of faith. That's what gets God's attention. God weighs the faith that gives the gift. He doesn't just calculate the amount given. Lesson four. Let us always remember that how one determines their giving to honor God should be weighed against how it impacts your life for him. Here's the adage. Whatever means little to us will always have little impact on us. And that which means much to us will hold great impact in us when we give it to the Lord. The scriptures instruct that when one considers giving to the Lord, We are always first to give ourselves because until you give yourselves first, your offering will always remain little to you because it is given with little of you. I remember once a single lady in our church 
We, it was 2008. It was the first, our church was a young church, and it was the first capital campaign that we had ever had. And we were just, man, I mean, we were trying to figure things out. We were seeking the Lord. Uh, there was some uh, strong economic headwinds blowing against us, you might say. And she was so excited. She'd been saved just a few months prior and baptized. And she came up after a service. She said, Pastor, I'm so excited about this. And I want to give as much as I can possibly give to this campaign. But I just don't have a lot. So I thought I'd go over to the casinos and see how much I could win to give. How much do you think I ought to gamble? That sweet lady got more than she gambled for. Not really. Here's what I told her. Don't gamble one red cent. But even if it's only a penny, you give what you are able, you give what the Lord tells you, and you trust him for the big win. You trust him to multiply the offering to meet the need. Why? Because it's really not about the amount, friends. It's about the heart. It's always about the heart with God. Generosity seldom makes sense to the onlooker, but it always makes sense to God. It gets his attention because he sees the heart. It stirs him to action and even to great blessing because he sees the one who is completely surrendered to him. And the person who places themselves in complete dependence of God, trusting him for all things, will not be found wanting, will not be found unsatisfied, will not be found disappointed in his provision. The more our gift means to us, the more it will impact us in giving to the one who sees us and rewards us.